Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. And he especially would go and preach to people who lived on the streets, to people who struggled with addiction, sex trade workers, and so on. But what he found, remember he was a Methodist preacher, was that when he would send them to church after people said, yeah, I want God in my life, they would not find that they could find a home in local churches. People there were dressed really well. It was a tradition for many people of the middle and upper class. Sometimes they'd be asked to leave. There were churches at the time that charged what was called a pew tax. I know, and so they couldn't pay the pew tax, and so he would find they couldn't find a place in a church, and so in exasperation, William Booth said, fine, I'm going to preach on the streets, and so what he did was um, he did some really innovative things. He started saying, you know what, the type of music that people like to listen to is like the stuff that they listen to in pubs, which at the time was like brass instruments, trombones, big drums. And so he'd say, he had this famous quote, why should the devil have all the good music? And so he took... So that's his quote. And so he took the, the local tunes that were being sung in the pubs, and then he put Christian music to them, and then he'd gather brass bands out on street corners, and he'd play to draw people in. And he would tell the poorest of the poor that God loved them and that they had a place in the kingdom of God. And then he started to see that so many of these people were suffering so much that you know it didn't really make sense to tell them about God without meeting some of their needs. And he had a line. He said, soap, soup, salvation that you had to clean a person, help a person get clean and feed them, and then you could tell them about God. And so he started soup kitchens, and he started homeless shelters. And a few years after this, his movement had grown and grown, and it was pretty big in London. They were starting to send people out in other places, even in the world. And one day he was penning a letter describing this ministry, and he wrote down that we are a volunteer army. And his son, who was involved behind him, his name was Bramwell, said, I'm not a volunteer. And he crossed out the word volunteer and he wrote salvation. So if you don't know who this is, this is the founder of the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army, you might think, how did you know? I grew up in the Salvation Army. So you hear this stories a lot. And the Salvation Army is now in 131 countries. This is what he started. And many of you may be familiar with their work, with their homeless shelters, with their soup kitchens, with the work that they do to help the poor, with the ministry they send out to lead people to Christ and the churches that they've been a part of. Now, you might wonder today why I would start by telling you about William Booth. And the reason is because we have been talking about spiritual gifts, and we've been talking about the ways that God has made us. And we've been using this passage together. It's found in a part of the Bible called the book of Ephesians. This is what God says. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. This is what we call the fivefold gifting. Now, to be clear, there are other spiritual gifts talked about in Scripture, and some of you have asked me about this. And you can have, we see these as kind of five big categories, and there's gifts within those categories too. So there's other gifts underneath these. But these are five big ways to think about how God may have made you. And we've been using this uh, picture of a hand to help us remember what each of these callings sort of do. And so the apostle we remember with the thumb, because the thumb can touch all these other things. It lays the groundwork for those. Apostles govern. Prophets, this pointer finger, guide. Points us to where we should go. Evangelists, 
I'll stop making the middle finger joke, but I kind of just did already, is they turn and they, they, they're the farthest reaching out, they gather. Pastors, which are on that ring finger that we typically wear, a wedding ring, they guard. They have those relationships with us. And teachers ground. The pinky keeps us balanced. They lead us in truth. So far, we've talked about pastors and teachers. And today, we're going to talk, as I've said, about apostles, that group that govern. But before I do that, I want to point out that there's actually groupings in these gifts. And you can see this on this slide here. So for T, uh, the T stands for teacher, the S stands for shepherd, which is synonymous with, we use the word pastor, shepherd. And remember, pastor doesn't just mean this role here. It's someone with the gift of shepherding. E for evangelist, P, prophet, and then um, A for apostle. And you'll see the two categories here. And within these gifts, we have pioneers and settlers. So think of like the Old West, right? When, the church, when the, that part of the world is being settled. Pioneers, anyone read Little House on the Prairie? See the movies? Her dad? Pioneer, right? Hmm, not good land here. I think I'll just go 100 miles in my wagon. I'll stop here and like build a house. Anyone else find that? That's a pioneer. He starts completely fresh. Apostles, prophets, evangelists are pioneers. They're starters. They're the ones who begin new things. Teachers and shepherds, which we've looked at so far, are settlers. The Old West, they were the people who said, great, there's some towns now. Now we need schools. Now we need churches. Now we need infrastructure. And they build into the health of the community to keep it ongoing. So we've looked at the settlers so far, those who build into the health and keep, keep getting those systems in place. And now we're shifting to the pioneers. And apostles are pioneers. But when I use the word apostle, it might mean some different things to us. But let me give you some sense of what it means. Apostles are sent ones. That's what it literally means in Greek, to be sent. And so when we say they govern, we mean they lay this groundwork, they lead us into new frontiers. They extend God's kingdom. So apostles say, that's where God's word hasn't been seen. William Booth says, you know where no one's reaching out? There's no one who cares about the people on the streets. I need to go there. They create and maintain an organization's DNA. What we mean is that they start it from the beginning. They, they're the ones who say, this is the vision. This is what it's going to be. Here's how we're going to do it. And then they're usually the ones that keep us true to that. They're starters, or one of my favorite expressions is they're spiritual entrepreneurs. It's a fun way to think of it. They're visionaries who start new things. They see big picture. They create new organizations, new ministries. They plant churches. They help us remember how God has sent us. But when I use the word apostles, I know it might be a bit confusing for some of us. If, if you're familiar with the Bible, which you may not be, you know that often when we say apostles, we use that term to describe a group of 12 men that were Jesus' followers, right? They were disciples, they were followers of Jesus, and then later we call them the 12 apostles. But apostles is talked about in more ways than that in Scripture. So you'll see four ways it's talked about here. First of all, Jesus is described as an apostle. He's the chief apostle. And we know that Jesus was sent, right? Remember, apostles sent one. In John 12, it says, Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Right? Jesus was sent by God, because Jesus embodies all these gifts. And we see Jesus as an apostle. And so he was the one, literally, who started the church. <laughs> but we do also have the 12 apostles, right? So those 12 people that were Jesus' close followers... But there's others that Jesus described, that the Bible describes as apostles. And the words we might use for that are the foundational or the transitional apostles. And those are the ones that are described as apostles in the early church. 
And so anyone who says, well, only those 12 were apostles, all of these people here are described as apostles in Scripture. Scripture specifically calls them apostles. Matthias, Silas and Timothy, Barnabas, Apollos, James, Jesus' brother, Epaphrodites, Andronicus, and Junia, men and women. And you might not know a lot of those names. So if you want some of the scripture of where they came from, they've got interesting stories in and of themselves. And they were ones who laid that basic foundation of the church that we've now been in for 2,000 years. Of course, probably the most famous apostle that we see in scripture was called by God. Many of us might think of someone called Paul. And Paul is really the quintessential apostle. So if we want to know what an apostle does or what they look like, Paul's a good one to look at. And I'm going to read a few passages. I'm kind of going to skim through the book of Acts, which is one of the books of the Bible that uh, talks a lot about Paul's journeys and to kind of see how his life came to be. And I'm going to start by reading Acts 13, 1 to 3. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul's another name for Paul. When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. What happens as you read the rest of this book of Scripture is you see all these places where Paul is sent, and he goes to one after another after another, and really embodies so much of our understanding of what apostles do. But let me give you some uh, examples. In Acts 16, we read this. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed through Mysia and went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. <laughs> so he's like, there's a need in Macedonia. Let's go to the new place. It picks up by saying that then they end up in a place called Philippi on the way, and it says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message about Jesus, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And then we get to the end of this chapter. Uh, in verse 40, it says, After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they're in prison in the middle of this, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So if you see what happens there, Lydia is in the town and she becomes one of the first Christians. A church starts in her house. She's an early pastor. And then Paul and Timothy, they go and they visit them. They see them there, but then they leave them. Lydia was probably more of a pastor, probably more of a shepherd teacher they're going to do fine. We're going to go somewhere else. And so then if we skip to eight, Acts 18, we can go through example after, and I'm going to kind of read verses through and notice the pattern. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a man named Aquila, who, a native of Pontus, who had been recently came from Idia with his wife Priscilla, 
And because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. When the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. And then he left the synagogue and went to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. And one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you. And then it goes on to say that he says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. And then we go a little bit farther and it says, and then he left. And then he left. <laughs> After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from that place to a place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And then he left. And so we see what apostles do is they have this pattern that they begin, they start things, and then they go where the word of God has not yet been shared. So that's one type of apostle are those 12 apostles. And then the fourth, uh, which, there you go, are the ascension apostles. And that's a term that some use to describe um, because in that passage in Ephesians with the fivefold gifts, it talks about how when Jesus ascended, that's when he went back to heaven, that then he leaves the gifts. And so those are all of us since who have the gift of being an apostle. Now, admittedly, some argue and they'll say, there's no more apostles in the world. The apostles were done with those 12. That, that's a thing that people in the church say, which I find really interesting because in that passage I read at the beginning of Ephesians, it says God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. Doesn't say anything, but only some of those were sometime. They're all just talked about together. And we never say pastors or teachers were only for the time of Scripture. Even though the five of those are all talked about completely together, there's no indication that they stopped. And so God does call people to be apostles. And what apostles do now is go into new frontiers, forge new paths, they pioneer, and then the settlers continue the work. In the church, you can recognize apostles as the ones who often do new things. People like William Booth, or like those who found ministries who start new things. They often plant churches and start ministry. In our city, I think of L. Craig, who formed Living Rock and is with his wife Karen, or Todd Bender, the founder of City Kids. Maybe you know some of these names. They're apostles. I'm gonna actually show you a short video now. Um, it's about five minutes. And when I was thinking of apostles, um, I really wanted to show you a quintessential apostle, a real starter. This is my friend Michael. He currently is a military chaplain. He also does some work with Philpott Memorial Church. I said, can I interview you about being an apostle? And then he sat down and he talked for 25 minutes straight on my phone. So I had to do uh, some... So first of all, this was on my phone on a Friday night. So this is super low tech, my friends. And so you're, I'm asking for forgiveness for this. But what I want you to notice is I asked him the question, tell me what you've started in Hamilton and see if he sounds like he might be an apostle to you. I'm going to let you uh, listen. What are some of the projects that you've been a part of here in Hamilton? So uh, the projects, some of the projects I've been involved here in Hamilton, first I started um, a Ray program, which is Reduce Anger Yourself, because I wanted to um, get into the school board, the Catholic school board and the public school board, to, um, to share love and kindness with students here in Hamilton. So I... Um, I asked and prayed God, to God, you know, how can we do this? Uh, and I went to a breakfast, a prayer <laughs> breakfast that I didn't want to go to because I don't really like prayer breakfasts. There's a lot of talking and sometimes prayer. 
Uh, but I didn't want to go. But anyway, I went there, and the school board uh, president was sitting there, and I didn't know who that was. We were having a chat, and he asked me a bunch of questions. And uh, about two weeks later, after the breakfast, I got a call from a principal at Queen Mary School in the East End. His name is John Laser, and he called me. And he says, "You had breakfast with my boss a couple weeks ago," and I said, "Really? You know, who's your boss?" And he said who it was, and I was like, "Oh my goodness! I hope you know." I couldn't even remember what I had said to him. But he said, "We have some major problems at my school," and he says, "You can help." And I said, "Well, you know, I'm like an evangelical pastor at a conservative church," and he says, "Yeah," but he says, "You can help." So, come and have coffee with me. So that started uh, 2007 uh, with uh, the Hamilton uh, Wentworth uh, District School Board. And we went there to Queen Mary. Uh, they are a school of 500 at the time, and they had over 250 suspensions that year. And uh, we started to do an anger management program. But the anger management program was really just to help students with choices. And we taught each one of them that you have choices, choices that you can make that will keep you safe and out of trouble. And they were... You know, simple things that we want to teach people today when it relates to mental health. Want them to count to 10, you know, go to a happy place mentally or physically. Uh, have some things that help you calm down so you can make good choices. And realize through that a lot of these children were showing up, they hadn't had breakfast. So the meal programs that we run through Kiwanis and still help provide there, we just sent a check for $5,000 to that program at Queen Mary this week with Kiwanis because I joined Kiwanis at the same time for a service club to, to be outside of the arm of the church. We have a breakfast program there. It's been running for, I don't know, 15 years. And the uh, anger management programs that they that they use now in the kindergarten classes for reading. So the uh, a lot of the parents and grandparents that come in to do reading now, they'll go through uh, anger management training that we started a long time ago. So we did that uh, elementary schools and a few high schools here in town. That was awesome. Love that. Um, we facilitated, at least in the program that I was involved, over 500 students going through that. And um, so food and the children. The other thing that we started doing was at Ellis Avenue, when I worked there, they had a, a food bank. The difficulty with the food bank was people would show up. We didn't know who they were. They'd get a box of starch and cans, and we'd never, you know, we wouldn't <laughs> see them again for a month. And I thought, this, this doesn't build relationships, so what can we do? to engage with people and break bread together and get to know who they are and what's going on in their lives. And at first, people were really concerned because they thought, well, you're going to you know, invite me to church and you're going to want me to do it. And I thought, no, no, we just want to love people and, and, and have food with them and get to know them in our neighborhood. So we started a meal um, every, uh, every night during the week. So Kiwanis, the Boys and Girls Club across the street, they had a dance program. So I went to them and I said, you know, when the parents come, what if we feed the parents and the students before dance, and we can have dinner together, and then they can do dance, and you can use our gym. And they said, that's great. We don't have any space. So I said, awesome. So we had a dinner where you, a whole family can come have dinner for five bucks. We had uh, a pasta meal each week and salad and a dessert. So we'd have something for the children. And then we found out that a lot of the children were coming to dance, that the parents were just dropping them off, and they hadn't eaten anything. They hadn't eaten dinner. So this way, we got to engage with the children, engage with the parents, and facilitate something that Kiwanis needed and the Boys and Girls Club needed. And after that, the city started paying for it. So it was a, it was a great program that we started, and then the city started to pay for it. Third thing that I'd say um, was significant that we started here in town, um, with that, we found out that a lot of the, the moms were facilitating groceries um, and their rent in, in unhealthy ways. And uh, one night, my wife and I were delivering groceries, 
So instead of doing the food bank, we bring the groceries to you. If you if you didn't come for dinner and get the groceries at the dinner, you could call us and we'd bring your groceries. One night, my wife and I were delivering groceries to a lady that lived on Kenilworth. And I got to her door and I knocked. And when she opened the door, there was a child sitting in a, in a stroller and a dog tied to the stroller and tied to the railing. And it was a multi-unit uh, multi, um, uh, uh, apartment. And she says, oh, you're here. I don't have to go out. And I thought, you know, and I asked her and I said, uh, you know, what do you mean? I, you know, we've brought the groceries. Is there anything else you need? And she goes, well, I need a little bit more money. I need money for like smokes and Tim's and stuff. So I'm going to turn a few tricks and then I'll be back. And I thought, so I said to her, I said, you're going you're gonna to leave the baby here? And she says, oh, the dog's here. The dog will take care of the baby. And the baby was like a year old. And, you know, my wife started, you know, turned around because she started, you know, weeping and I, these are the things where, as God enables you to do different things, it's sometimes you have all this time to think about it. Other times, when you're doing apostolic work or mm-hmm. ministry, Jesus just, you know, does it in a way that you have no time to prepare for. So in this instance, I, I realized that I was dropping groceries off, but this woman, she wanted more money and she found that the way that she could facilitate the groceries was to, to sell herself. And um, about a month after that, my wife Diane and I started Sister Care here in Hamilton. And we wanted to start It's actually laughable, right? Did you, know, did you notice the amount of things he started? So he actually didn't even mention them all. He's like, well, the main things I started, he started anger management in the school that still runs. But he kind of mentioned on the side, oh, and also we do a breakfast program at, at the same time. And then also he started um, that meal ministry every single night for people in dance. And he started Sister Care Hamilton. But the rest of the video, which just got too long, I couldn't, and then after this, he talked about how, and then when he started working, so Sister Care is a ministry for people uh, who are sex workers to care for women that do that work. And then he started saying, then I realized that we needed a place for people to be together and form real relationships, and Michael started 541 Coffee House. So he's, I'm going to put the video where he talks about starting 541 on the Facebook page. So if you're wondering what an apostle looks like, Michael kind of defines apostle. And do you notice some of the patterns there, right? That he would see something and he'd go, I got to do something about that. Did you notice that? I walked in her house. The dog was about to look after the baby. I got to start something. I noticed people were coming to dance and their kids hadn't eaten. I got to start something. I got to start. I got to start. And you might say, I never see Michael at 541 anymore. Well, he doesn't run 541 anymore because he started 541 and now he's doing other stuff because he's an apostle. Maybe you're an apostle. You might not be this extreme in terms of how you live that out. But let me give you an example of what it might mean. And you'll see those things on your slide. You might be, have some kind of apostle gifts if you have a lot of big ideas. Apostles have a lot of ideas, more than they can use. Once you've started something, you're ready to move on to the next thing. That's pioneers. They're starters. You've been part of starting a new business, a ministry, or a project in the past. You have a passion to extend God's kingdom, and you're never satisfied with the status quo. People have commented that you have great vision. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. How'd you think of that? Let's go to the next slide. You don't always feel your ideas fit within a church. You have more ideas than the ability to implement them. You see opportunity everywhere, 
You can attract people to a vision, and you have such a vision of how things could be. It's an exciting thing to be, but apostles also have their challenges. Being an apostle, having that gifting, can be really lonely. Because the reality is, apostles can make people really uncomfortable, which is why we don't actually have a lot of them often in traditional churches. I had a hard time thinking of someone that really embodied this gift at Mount Hamilton, which is not a criticism, because apostles often don't fit in churches. Like William Booth, they go, I tried. I brought all the people here. It made people uncomfortable. So I just went, and I did it somewhere else. Oh, excuse me. So apostles often find themselves lonely, because apostles often make settlers uncomfortable. Because they're always going to push us to new things. And when we say, oh, but it's so comfy now and we really like it, apostles are going to say, it's not good enough. There's still poor people. There's still need. And so apostles don't always find a home in churches or among other Christians. I think that's why today what I wanted to talk about and challenge us about is why we need to make space for this gift. That's the thing I thought would be a good takeaway. It's good to learn about it. And to invite you to think if you might have that. And I hope that God can build more of us into using that gift. Or using that gift even if we think we lean more other ways. But we want to use this one too. And there's a reason that we need apostles. We need apostles in our world. We need people like Michael. Because Michael, he said at the beginning of that, read the code red study that came out a few years ago. And his immediate response was, I have to do something. And he started an anger management program. He started a food bank. And so we need apostles because this week, perhaps you've seen that Hamilton received the very unfortunate distinction of being the city in Canada with the most hate crimes per capita. I'm ashamed of that. This week, a 14-year-old boy was murdered outside of school. And you know, shepherds, like me, will do wonderful things. They'll send cards to that family, right? Send them meals, pray. But you know what the apostles will do? They'll say, we have to fix this. They're the ones that, you know, we're going to hear in a while are saying, we started a program. (laughs) We started a system. We stepped in and we did something that would address the pain we see around us. And we need apostles in the church. And in churches just like ours. Because they're the voices that will tell us to remember the vision of God, that God has more to do. They'll say, we can't just sit in our pews all the time. There are people that are struggling that we need to help. We can't always be comfortable. And it makes us uncomfortable. We need those voices. They will invite us to more. They will tell us that we can't simply settle. And we need that voice. Although sometimes we want to ignore it. Many years ago, I was part of a church that was just booming. Tons of kids. Tons of teens. And so we were having a lot of meetings about what we were going to do because there wasn't enough seating on a Sunday morning. And I was on the leadership team of this church. I remember this conversation very well because it sat with me. And someone, I think with an apostolic gift, said, it might be time for us to plant another church. Right? We're so full. And there's more work for God to do. Maybe some of us here need to go and start another church. And, the, and I think what, in hindsight, where all the settlers in the room went, ooh, I don't know. And I remember vividly one woman said, you know what, we can't really ask anyone to do that because we're a family and we'd hate to see any of our family leave. Now that's beautiful, that's a shepherd's voice. But I puzzled, I was quite young at the time, but then I remember I was talking to uh, a woman sometime later uh, from a completely different organization and we were talking about church planning and I shared that story and she said, yeah, but you know, healthy families reproduce, (laughs) right? Like, most of us don't want our 72-year-old child still living in our basement and us making them dinner and paying all their bills, right? Maybe we do. 
<laughs> but the voice of the shepherd in that moment actually outweighed the voice of the apostle. And the shepherd's voices, which were valuable, we need to think of how to love the family, um, outspoke at that moment the apostle saying, but God has more to do here. God has more to do. Um, since then, that church is still doing fine, but it's smaller than it was then. They didn't plan another church. Uh, we're a growing church. It's really easy to want to settle, right? We like it when everyone's together. We like knowing everyone's name. We don't want anything to change. We want to stay comfortable. And we need those settler voices to remind us that we need to care for people well in the midst of that. But we also need to make space to hear from the apostles that are going to say, God, that we're going to say, what does God have next for Mount Hamilton? We don't have to be scared of it because there's still more to do. God has more kingdom work to do, and that's what we need the apostles to remind us. So I invite you today to consider if that may be a way God has spoken to you. But if it is not, what it will mean to make space, not to be scared of that voice, not to be the ones that push the apostles out, but that make space to hear from them. And today I'm going to invite us to pray for our apostles and pray that we would hear from them um, as we all work together as the body of Christ. So here's a prayer on our screen that we're going to pray together. Join me. Dear God, thank you for the voice and role of our apostles. We pray for the apostles in our city and in our world as they bring the hope of your kingdom. Help us to value, support, and learn from our apostles. Raise up apostles in our midst to lead us in the new frontiers you have for us. Amen.